Hey guys, just before we start our Apocalypse Live show, just want to acknowledge that we create and come up with and record this podcast in Mbantua, Alice Springs, and want to acknowledge the Aranda people whose country this is. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome to Apocalypse Live. Um, I'm Alex. I'm Heather. And we are here to, I guess, ponder apocalypses, but particularly pandemics mm. um, and the ways that they do and it has affected our lives in large and small ways. Mm. We kind of get together once a week or once every couple of weeks, as it were, to just have a chat and a reflect on how the approaching doom (laughs) impending (laughs) impending yeah impending doom yeah sure makes everyday life slightly different but also just remarkably the same yeah um this is a great reflection that you're doing (laughs) yeah sorry and (laughs) the end (laughs) did you feel prompted to do a bit of a like just for those of you who it's sort of like a previously on Dawson's yeah, Creek yeah, yeah. type thing. Previously on Dawson's Creek, there's been uh, I actually never watched Dawson's Creek, so I can't even make I a joke find that about it. Incredibly hard to believe because you would have been a 16 year old girl when it came out. I've never watched it. Wow, it's on Netflix now. So if you want to catch up, I watched the I first mean, episode again the other day. Given the impending doom, I might not have much time to catch up. So it's something that I should really prioritize, right? Yeah, I suppose it's funny decisions about how you spend your time. Yeah. Do you want to rewatch Dawson's Creek? Do you want to rewatch something else? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's almost certain that it would be something else I would choose to rewatch. Yeah. Or watch, as it were. Sure. Anyway, time's ticking. Time's ticking. Both in terms of the timer that we have, so that you don't have to do hours of editing, but also in terms of. Just the general doom. Just the general doom approaching. And look, should be noted, this is not coming to you live. We're Mm. recording in my living room. So Mm. thanks for listening in belatedly. Mm. Um, Maybe we can kick off by talking about other forms of apocalypses that are happening now. Now that the pandemic still happening, but you know. Okay, well, maybe like I can just set the scene. Okay. By noting that, as I just mentioned, we're here in my living room and we're sitting on the carpet. Um, which we couldn't have done up until about seven minutes before you arrived because I had to vacuum because there were so many grasshopper carcasses <sighs> being demolished and eaten and, like, kind of horrifically torn apart by ants. By ants. Um, so you've so, two pests in one. Yeah, so it's I just have been really thinking about pestilence and plague mm. um, and locusts. Yeah. Uh, and did you figure out whether grasshoppers and locusts are the same thing? I know we were talking about this the other day. I didn't, and now I feel really ignorant. We could Google it. Yeah, we could. But or we you won't. guys could just Google it yeah. yourselves. <laughs> Similar though, my like crops of one single basil plant mm. plus another pot plant that is non-edible likely Gone. to be eaten yeah. by these grasshoppers. I've never seen so many different types of grasshoppers. I don't really mind grasshoppers. I think they're quite cute. And they have lots of what nice about when they colors. actually like? I remember a few years ago when there was like real proper plague, and they ate every single plant ever in our springs. Yeah, I suppose that that didn't really bother me. Yeah, I okay. don't know. Yeah, in terms of 
types of apocalypses. I feel like the pest one is sort of down the list. What about bit. the mice that are likely to come the, after the, the mouse is very bad. Yeah. yeah, and I was listening to the radio the other day, and they're already having a mouse apocalypse in New South Wales, yeah. and people were talking about how. They, you can't get any form of domestic mouse bait or trap anywhere in like a 1,000-kilometre radius oh because it's all sold out. Mouse traps are the new toilet paper. They are. And, oh, my God, oh, my God. A grasshopper just flew at Heather. <laughs> it's hanging onto the edge of the rug that's on the couch that I'm sitting next to. For all that I said that I like grasshoppers, <laughs> I am going to inch away from it yeah. as we continue to talk. There is a look of barely restrained... <laughs> frenetic fear in your eyes right now it's just that look they are quite unpredictable aren't they they are anyway you just, just never know when they're going to try and look at like into your ears or something like antennae moving and everything yeah. uh. it's like finally the promised land <laughs> <laughs> anyway so in sort of like rural new south wales in queensland where you can't get any mouse traps people are having to kind of like diy ways to kill mm. mice and one woman was on the radio talking about how she has this setup where you have like a tube that you line with peanut butter so they kind of climb up the tube what? and then they abruptly get to the end so the tube is at like a 45 degree angle from the ground propped up on a bucket of water and then the mice fall into the water and they drown and she says she sometimes gets like 50 mice in a bucket of water overnight oh my god isn't that horrible that is unbelievable it's also just reminded me of remember that game from childhood called mousetrap where you like had a weird yeah. video and then you built this like mousetrap thing yeah i guess i've only finally just connected that that mousetrap is referring to things like that yeah. and not necessarily just marbles or whatever it was yeah. that you used in that context so anyway i just think that's such a horrific image and also luckily like, this is radio suited <laughs> but i guess it's coming for us it'll be here soon and i know central australia has had some epic mass plagues in the past so i wonder if soon we're just going to have buckets full of dead mice in our backyard i have absolutely no doubt which is makes me some kind of seer it's horrible isn't um, it like, because they're just little animals, really. They are just little animals. And look, just individually, when they're not crawling towards you while you slumber in your sleep, mm. they're cute. They're pretty cute. People keep them as pets. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so that's I have been um, giving a lot of thought to this sort of almost biblical feeling of plague mm. that seems to be descending at least upon my living room. Um, and then the snakes follow the mice. Well, that's it. Yeah. Into your bed. If- we had an email from Clancy's daycare recently saying, just FYI, there was a brown snake spotted just outside in the yard sort of thing maybe just use the other gate for a while and make sure your kids have shoes i'm like is that it (laughs) turns out if only protection if only deferring other kinds of apocalypses was so simple (laughs) just wearing shoes yeah and using the other gate yeah but i guess there's lots of there's all the snake people in town as well that you can call that's true other other forms so there's pests there's pests there's the ever in ever-present climate, I was going to say concerns, and that just seems like <laughs> such a weird thing to say, but... We're vaguely concerned about the climate. Yeah, like just got a few concerns about that. Yeah. And mutant strains. Mutant strains, yep. yeah. So there's been obviously like an outbreak in Melbourne of that UK strain mm. and Melbourne are now in a lockdown for five days. Five days. So Friday, there are days. Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, maybe yeah. if they've got a couple more days. Maybe poor, tomorrow. Poor Melbourne poor friends Melbourne. and family and folk. But I heard that that strain was spread when somebody just opened their door. So there was like a family. It was in the hotel, Well, right? they were talking about it being through a nebulizer. 
Like a shared nebulizer? I don't know. Like I think using a nebulizer, um, I'm not sure. Not an epidemiologist. <gasps> don't hold a press conference based on my vague memories of listening to other people's press conferences. I did hear reference to a nebulizer. Yeah. So yeah. I think something that the nebulizer does is that it creates aerosols. Like it's a bit of a oh. an aerosol maker. Rah, rah, rah. Yeah, right. And so someone was using one when they had the UK strain and that's somehow super propelled. It's kind of like that button when you're playing a video game, which I never play video games, so I'm literally just making up what I think might happen in a video game. But I would imagine that you'd like give a little bit of extra... A booster. A booster. Yeah, like in Mario Kart where you go over those um, spinning sort of colourful cubes and you get a little bit of a burst of energy. Yeah, Yeah, sure. So it's like that. Okay. I heard somebody explaining on the news what a nebulizer was because apparently not many people know. So did I, and I remember absolutely nothing about what they said. It's a special machine for asthma, but I guess maybe you might also use it if you had a respiratory illness. Yeah. I remember my brother got asthma when he was very little and had to go into hospital, and I was really jealous that he was getting all this attention, and so then I pretended that I had asthma so that I would get to use his nebulizer. I know. I was only like... How old would I have been? Maybe four or five or something. Anyway, there's my little nebulizer story. So okay, I know I'm so relieved that you weren't like 27 <laughs> at the time, you know. It was actually this Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So new strains that continues to evolve. I did- For all those people who were feeling a bit, come on, Victoria, should you really be holding the Australian Open? Do mm. we really think that's a good idea? Those people must be feeling heaps of smug. Um, Schadenfreude. Schadenfreude about what's gone on now totally. with the Australian Open, I assume, which sounds terrible. Although great that everyone gets to watch it yeah. while, while they're in lockdown. Yeah, yeah. But there must be a bit of a feeling of, war. come on, I told you so, from certain quarters, I imagine. Certainly I'm feeling that and I have no sway in the situation. You could write a letter to, I don't know, who would you write to? You might recall that in the last podcast we did talk about this and question. Yeah, whether it was a good idea or not. And here we are, Mm. I told you so. Yeah, so cool. The pandemic continues, but other apocalypses are pending as well. And I guess, of course, we did make a good portmanteau for this, perhaps. The democalypse. The democalypse. (laughs) <laughs> the American democalypse. Yeah. With the acquittal of Trump. Yeah. So, you know, great. Yeah. I mean, these are things that it's like, I feel it's just like, oh, these things are going on in the world. How's it going there in Alice Springs? Oh, yeah. Pretty much the same as ever. Pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Fine, thanks. Although we are both sitting here with weird bites of unknown origin. That's true. From the um, pest apocalypse. That's true. Yeah. So, so life life in Alice Springs remains unchanged apart from being slightly itchier yeah, than usual. Yeah. Yeah. So the unfolding apocalypse of democracy in the US continues. Trump threatens to continue to try and make America great again from the sidelines, I guess, or from some sort of undisclosed mm. movement, um, which is extremely unsettling. But he has been acquitted of charges of inciting insurrection, which is just like, even when you just, when people say, oh, the insurrection in the US, like, I just sometimes I pause and just go, God, that's crazy that that mm. happened. That is such a, a good example of how easily we become used to things. Yeah. And, you know, even as I think I banged on about the last time we recorded, my thing of like apocalypse and world changing things are an incremental thing and they incrementally we get used to change and then mm. we kind of like don't notice. This isn't even incremental change that no. are getting used to, but it's so quickly just becomes yeah. like a, a normalised part of the 
obvious narrative yeah. of, of, I don't know, contemporary politics. Yeah, it's, um, it's very unsettling. If you would like to hear some really intelligent people talk on a podcast about the um, democratic apocalypse in the US, you could do the minefield because they did a great episode oh, did on this recently. Yeah, where they're much more informed than we are. Um, Absolutely not pretending to be informed here. <laughs> just, I just really want to clarify that. <laughs> it was really interesting. They were talking about what it means for kind of like the soul of the Republican Party in terms of like how they proceed and and whether they this was before the acquittal happened so whether they mm-hmm. um would vote to impeach him or not yeah i don't know very unsettling but it's interesting to think about what it might be like because i studied political science at uni <laughs> you wouldn't know that from listening to this podcast but <laughs> what's your undergrad take on this <laughs> um but it's interesting to think about what we might look back in sort of 10 or 20 years and talk about at mm. this point in history and what what people might think about the fact that this happened, like this riot at the Capitol happened and, and these people died and then this mm. person was acquitted of this and, yeah. Do you think it'll be like, it'll be like, Alex, remember like 20 years ago what was going on? And I'll be like, oh, my God, that was that time there was like heaps of dead grasshoppers in my yeah. living room. Yeah. And you'll be like, oh, my God, yeah. And yeah. Like, Wasn't there something else? Yeah, there was. No, I think I just remember the grasshoppers. <laughs> it's funny. I wonder how quickly things like that. I don't know. You wonder what will be the things that will kind of stand the test of time that we'll look back on as sort of turning points Absolutely. in history and what things will just kind of be that they won't really matter Absorbed. anymore in the course of things. Yeah. I guess this Can you think of one. any from your, like, say, high school years, just because that's an easily definable mm. period often in your memory, can you think of anything from that time that you had assumed would, like, go forth as although I guess teenage brains often don't think like this would go forth and be remembered and then just like mm. weren't big deals anymore there's probably like some band that was stuck up with blue tech above the bed or something that fits that but maybe not political yeah. events if I I guess I think about if I think about American politics like obviously there's September 11 and obviously there was a huge sense when mm. that happened that that would just continue but I think that has even now been so much more pivotal than I ever would have thought at the time when it happened and it really is something that people like mm. look before and after but interesting fact that everybody probably is already aware of there was that huge when we talk about democracy there was that huge issue about the fact that the supreme court decided in george w bush's favor in the election when it was actually Mm. now kind of widely understood that i mean um, that's probably a good example of something that was just a huge issue and sort of seen as 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 seminal and kind of cataclysmic in in the precedence precedent that it set that you know sort of a little bit i mean we've been reflecting on it a lot Mm. um because of the recent challenges to the u.s election but kind of like i'd sort of not a regular part of my consideration of history up until no, this point. Just no, just kind of forgotten about it a little bit. Totally forgotten about it. And so I think that's a really good example of things that you think at the time are just so, mm. so groundbreaking and how can the US ever recover from this in terms mm. of its integrity and this like shining light as the world's leading democracy and then you just completely forget about it. You yeah. don't worry about it and Al Gore just becomes like this that vaguely dude boring from that dude. movie. The movie with the PowerPoint. Yeah. yeah. That dude from that PowerPoint. I mean movie. I mean PowerPoint. <laughs> what do you have to say? Yeah, interesting. <laughs> anyway, um, we were going to talk about some books and some articles and things like that. Did you want yeah. to – where are we at with that? I know that you recently read a Jonathan Safran Foer article that I haven't mm. read. I You've got this look on your face like, ugh, do I really need to read it at some point? 
I'm just so glad that I don't have to because you can give me a recap. <laughs> sure. It's very Because like very I'm short. I um enjoy reading or you know, have enjoyed reading Jonathan Saffron Fowler's novels mostly many years ago. But I just like certainly and probably just have avoided because I'm a bad person reading his books about um meat, meat. Mm. um and i know that that's what you're going to talk about now but mm. also as i was just saying before we started recording i just connected the dots with jonathan saffron foa and the natalie Palmer <laughs> story yeah. of believing that she was deeply in love with him and destroying so this is, if people don't know this story so he wrote he wrote eating animals which is a book about factory farming and i think that was quite a while ago. That was in like 2005. And then Natalie. Jonathan Saffron Foer, a person whose book about eating animals we thought would stand the test of time, <laughs> but now. <laughs> would radically change the world. Um, so then he, and then Natalie Portman read that and then got in touch with him apparently and said, oh my God, this book changed my life. And I became a vegan because of it. And then they sort of had some correspondence, which he interpreted as, I'm in love with you. Let's end both of our marriages and be together. And she interpreted as some correspondence about the book that he had written. <laughs> and so Crazy then that. he broke up with his wife, who's also an author, whose name I can't remember now, which is terrible, and sort of approached Natalie Portman and was like, cool, so now we can be together. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry, what? He's like, you know, this secret love affair that we've been continuing that we haven't even been able to verbalise because <laughs> it's been so suppressed. We're now free to pursue. And she was like, yeah, that's not happening. So oh it's a little bit sad. It's also one of those things where I kind of admire his uh, resilience in pursuing a public life after such a public <laughs> humiliation like that. that is the incredible armor of being a middle-aged white man that's it? really true yeah that is really true apparently interesting fact though this isn't the only time that this happened to natalie portman apparently there was some moby other oh my god it was moby yeah. oh moby i mean moby did struggle having a public life <laughs> that right did i mean just in general he's really struggled he is somebody who has not stood the test of time. Yeah. Mm. I mean, maybe that could be my thing from my teenage years. What was what was the album? album play. Play. Mm. Obviously going to be, you know, in Ground my breaking. mind. <laughs> Groundbreaking. And forever. Turns out it was turns just Moby few months later. talking over some yeah. soul songs that had already been recorded. And yeah. Anyway, so Jonathan Safran Foa got over that embarrassing hump. Um, read Natalie Portman and read another book about meat, which is about the impact of farming on climate change. And then he's recently written another article about about the same thing and talking about how in the US the pandemic has meant that people haven't had access to meat and there's oh. all those stories about a lot of abattoirs had to be shut down but then were forced to reopen. Why were Trump. they forced to reopen? Um, I guess so people could eat meat. But oh. apparently Trump had something to do with that. He kind of stepped in and said, like, all these places need to stay open and subsequently they just became massive coronavirus hotspots, unsurprisingly. Yeah, but I guess he sort of talked about it being this moment in time where we have this opportunity maybe to rethink the relationship to meat and rethink our relationship to our diets and what they mean hmm. in our lives and stuff. And it's really interesting. He talks about there being like this sense within us that we're living in this way that's not in line with our values. Mm. Um, and I'm just like, damn, that's really true. Yeah. You know how you have this kind of feeling of like I've bought the plastic wrapped vegetables again yeah. because there aren't any other sugar snaps peas and I really just want to have fucking sugar snap peas yeah. in my stir fry. I don't And what need would it be 
to just not have sugar sugar snap peas in the stir fry? Mm, I guess I mean, that's a question. I mean, I think that's really true, and I think there is something compelling and seductive about the concept of apocalypses, mm. which is related to this uh, assumption or feeling, or I think even unconscious prediction that that cataclysmic world shift gives us opportunities to do internal shifts mm, yeah. um, and yes. be reset the timer to be better versions of ourselves. And mm. and it's and we talked the last time we caught up and recorded about some disappointment that perhaps governments haven't taken on those yeah, opportunities. Yeah, that it hasn't happened on a Personally, we can still take those on. Yeah. I don't know. Has your any of your behaviours? I or... have for the f- maybe fifth time in my life. <laughs> Uh, attempted to become vegetarian again. Oh, no, I'm cooking you chicken for lunch. Oh, that's okay because it's already been cooked, so it's <laughs> fine. And you didn't know about it, so I'll just eat it and pretend it's not there. No, we've decided to try and just eat kangaroo as like a non-farming yeah. type of meat. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I think it did speak – I think the way that he talks about it as being like, hey, you already know this is a problem. I'm not trying to convince you of something that you don't already know. And he's kind of inviting you. There's this possibility to live more in Mm. line with how you want to. Um, And it's not as hard as you think. So he sort of goes through in this article, which I think is in the New Yorker. Yeah, I was going to say, where is the article published and what it's called? I'm pretty sure it's in the New Yorker and I'm pretty sure that it's called something like The End of Meat or something like that. But if you just (laughs) Google Jonathan Safran Foer and Natalie Portman and read that, first and then google jonathan saffron foa meat pandemic something like that it should come up um but yeah like he goes through a lot of interesting things that people tell themselves about why they need to continue to eat meat talks about protein and says that apparently we get 70 percent more protein than we even need which is insane yeah so i just think that it's it's really interesting to approach that really practical step from this incredibly personal and moral and value-based. I mean, I take comfort from that, particularly given that, unlike you, I haven't sort of attempted to stray into vegetarianism regularly and I guess I've been a guilty meat eater. But in March last year, after we went to Woma, just Mm. as as the uh, pandemic was descending upon us, but before it had really arrived and we realised it was going to be a big thing, went to all those like earth talks in Adelaide you know like that's what we did at the music festival guys we (laughs) didn't see any bands we just sat and listened to some lectures very comfortable chairs they did (laughs) but got really inspired by that to finally for Mm. the first time go you know what I can do this and I can and should and want to have a more ethical approach to the way that I eat and I'm gonna stop eating meat Mm. and then the pandemic hit and I was like man I was, like, prepared to do this big, glorious gesture that was going to improve my life and make me a better, more popular human in the um, face of my peers. Ooh. Yeah. Um, nice. and But now no one is even paying attention to me. And <laughs> <laughs> nobody cares about – no. Not a single person cared about my generous offer to the planet to to become a vegetarian. And I must say that my momentum around yeah, – sort of felt around, and I do attribute that to, just to defend myself for one second, to there being like so many strange changes that were happening that mm. they just I just didn't quite have the brain space mm. to um, make that change. But I feel quite inspired to look up Natalie Portman and Jonathan Safran Foer. <laughs> and Moby. <laughs> and Moby on the internet then to work out 
what the article was actually called that we're talking about now mm-hmm. and then to read that article and, yeah, yeah. see what kind of momentum it gives to me and, and what kind of uh, maybe lens it gives me to look yeah. Through. It's interesting that you talk about having kind of taken that conscious step and then having sort of taken a step back, as it were, mm. when the pandemic hit. Because a lot of what Jonathan Safran Foer talks about in his book called We Are the Weather, which is about meat and climate change, which mm. I do know the title of, right. he talks <laughs> about the place food has in our lives and how it's so much about comfort. So it's interesting that when things get uncertain and weird that you that we all just revert back Seek to default ways of doing things. Yeah. yeah, but now perhaps that we have the new normal, we might be ready to take this other step. Because, yeah, his book We Are the Weather is absolutely fascinating about the impact of eating meat on climate change and really eye-opening. So, yeah, recommended. But hey, we're, we're out, of out of time. time. Oh, no. It's time to go. So my phone's ringing and making your car's it, being yeah, serviced. Just, <laughs> it is an apocalypse of too many communications happening at once, which for me is like ultimate doom. Like anyone trying to send me a text message, I just go into a panic and kind of have to call up, curl up in a ball on the floor. And the baby will be waking up. And soon the baby as well. will be waking up. Great, great. This has been um, apocalypse life. Yeah, we've been. Just having a chat. Yeah. Thanks for your time. Watch out for the grasshoppers. Yeah. Um, We'll see you in a fortnight. All right. Bye. Bye.